Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. You know, I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is Oh, so good. I make a nice little marinade, saute some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some weiss. And it is an amazing dinner. If you want to take less trips to the grocery store and always have prepared meat in the freezer for a lot less money, you need ButcherBox in your life. Sign up at butcherbox.com etm and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash etm. To me, it's no surprise that this thing creates all kinds of emotional chaos um, and it makes it incredibly hard and trying to communicate that with a partner is like what that you have feelings for them and they have their own feelings around it hey welcome back to everyone's talking money i am your host shauna game and on this show we not only talk about the how to's with money but we dive deep into the emotions of money so you can emphatically opt out of all of that negative self-talk and thinking to step into the version of life you want to live. That brings us to today's episode. (sighs) Love and money. Since it's the month of love, we need to talk about a few things. Love and money, it's a complicated thing that brings up 
so many different emotions and feelings that are very real. You know what I'm talking about if you've ever been in a relationship. And look, even if you don't talk about money with your partner or you keep separate bank accounts, those feelings are still simmering under the surface. That's where my two friends, Heather and Doug Bonaparte, come in. Yep, a couple who talks about money for a living. Doug is a certified financial planner and founder of Bonafide Wealth. You may recognize him from CNBC and countless articles in popular publications. Heather, his wife, is a celebrity in her own right as a writer and former corporate attorney who now runs business and legal affairs for their company. She and Doug have joined forces to create their popular newsletter, The Joint Account, and are working on a second book, Navigating the Power Struggle Over Money in Relationships. So in this episode, we are going to collectively roll up our sleeves to have fun and a very insightful conversation about how to practically navigate these power struggles and deep dive into some of the most common issues couples have around money. Like what to do if one person wants to splurge on something and the other one is adamantly against it. Yeah, been there, done that one. If you are in a relationship or looking to get into one, this episode is just what the love doctor ordered. Before we get into all this love talk, just a quick reminder that two ways you can support Everyone's Talking Money and keep these episodes coming is by doing two things. One, sharing this with your network and your friends and inviting everybody into this show. And two, subscribing to our exclusive email club to stay on top of all the ETM Insider news. You can go to etmpod.link slash email club or just head to the link in the show notes. All right, let's start talking. You know, I was I was thinking about our, our conversation today and, you know, you both are husband and wife. My producer, Jeff, who is my husband, is listening and doing the soundboard. And I feel like I feel like he Hi, should Jeff. be here, too, <laughs> because yeah. we're having this this conversation about money. But no doubt he'll probably he chime in a time or two. He is here. He's, he's, he's here, here in here spirit. Right? He's here in yes. spirit. Exactly. He is here. He is here. And we're talking about this crazy thing, couples and money, and, and it's complicated. And I, no matter how many episodes we do on the show, I, I can't even, probably hundreds of episodes I've done over the last nine years, still people want more because this is a very charged topic. You both know that. It is certainly one of the reasons why it's your focal point. And you guys have an amazing uh, newsletter called The Joint. Where we'll talk a little bit about that. But to start us off, you know, I had this crazy email come through this morning uh, from this company called Bread Financial, and they did this survey of financial compatibility for couples. And I thought it would just be fun to to start with a few of these. The first one really blew my mind. I'm curious what you guys think about this one. It said that 23% of singles have actually requested money back from a date after the fact. Like they went on what? a date and paid for the other person, and then was like, I. You know, I need my buddy back. Like this was yeah, not this, a this good was experience. Not. I want to refund. Chivalry is officially dead. If that's the case, that's wild. What's crazier is twenty three percent. That's a you know just about a quarter of all dates. I I don't know. I gotta I gotta cast some doubt on that statistic. I'm gonna cast doubt on it because I've heard that dating is a total like is a total circus now. Like I mean, I I've I've heard some horror stories, and that kind of that that statistic aligns with the types of things I've heard. So I'm out of touch. You're kind of out of touch. I dated you 20 years ago in college. <laughs> and that, and that's so, all she wrote. Over a quarter beers, yeah. Right. I, I met I Jeff know. on um, Match.com, and um, the date that I had after, I met him on a Friday, and then I had a Saturday date, 
And this guy on paper, you would think was like the perfect guy. He worked at a Hollywood studio. I mean, it just seemed to be I checked all the boxes. And when we got together, I mean, it was the most horrific date. But um, no, no shade if this is your thing. But he um, he was into ghost hunting. And so he told me how he spent all of his money on ghost gear. And he wow. would only go on ghost vacations. And, you know, I was thinking like, you are, you need to be like on a very specialized dating service. I was going to say, that is this. niche. That is niche. Like how, I, we, who was it? We spoke with someone recently who had a, oh my goodness. This isn't, I know that I, I should have known this. Good work. For, no, we spoke to somebody <laughs> recently who had a very niche hobby. And I, and I was questioning like how the couple, um, you know, plans and a lots for uh, for that hobby to exist oh and we wrote about hobbies recently in the joint account sure uh, just, that's that that's a whole new le- level though i didn't know that about jeff and is he it's jeff the other day no i know i'm asking i'm saying about her jeff yeah no jeff isn't the ghost hunter oh sorry this was someone else yes yes this was, this the Saturday was, date was the ghost hunter i missed the beat here it didn't work this out was, with the ghost it, it yeah, didn't work out with the it ghost didn't, hunter. it didn't Good work listener out on blind dates Today. Not to mention, this kind of goes in with a stat, not to mention we went to a a, a bar and um, the waitress came over and the waitress said, you know, can I take your order? And he spoke up first and he ordered a drink. And then he turned to me and he said, oh, well, I guess I'll buy her a drink. And I was like, okay, what? well, date's over, A, but. Yeah. <laughs> My whole body just like clenched up. I'm- Oh, well, I, I guess I now can see how maybe a refund is in order on dates like that. So yes. I'll, I'll, I'll walk it back. Oh, my okay. goodness. The, the next stat, that's crazy. The next stat is interesting. And, and I mean, a little bit more serious. We're getting in some, some heavy waters now. It said that 48% of respondents admitted to committing financial infidelity and hiding purchases from their partner. I mean, I, 48% feels low to me. What do, what do you guys think? Well, there's varying degrees of financial infidelity. I mean, infidelity is a big word. I mean, are we talking a small, uh, you know, a small white lie about a purchase or are we talking like hidden debt? And, you know, we're seeing both in our interviews for the book. um, And I and we actually were just talking about. Yeah, on the whole ride here in, in the car ride today about like, how do you how do you measure measure the magnitude of a mistake? Right. And um. What, and, the difference between a mistake and and just a bad decision. But, but I'm with you that I think that number feels low because. It, but it it really depends how they're measuring uh, what we're talking about here. I don't think it's too far off. I, I think it's probably greater than that. And I think Heather has a great point. What's the severity here? Are we talking, you know, yeah, a little figurine collection, and you don't want your you know wife to find out you you bought another you know, anime figurine, <laughs> or we talk in, you know, you're a, you're a bourbon collector and you just scored a $400, you know, dollar bottle of bourbon and you definitely don't, you know, want to get caught with that in your backpack. And I think it's also interesting too, what, and, and I know you're, you're talking to a lot of different couples, but what do you, yeah, what do you classify as financial infidelity? And I would imagine there's this really broad spectrum person to person of, you know, what they would, how they would classify that and um, even how how they would feel on the other end of that. We were talking about, and this this is so timely that we're getting into this because we were talking about how it feels like the, it's really about the consequence, right? 
It's about what the consequences are. What's the damage here? What's the damage being done? And we don't just mean financial damage. We mean emotional damage. Is trust broken? Yeah. What, what? We, and, and, and there's, of course, there's an objective measure of that, right? Like, I don't think, you know, a small purchase here or there shouldn't be something that torpedoes your relationship into some like, you know, into peril. But if, if you've done something that severely damages the trust of the relationship, that to me is worthy of the term financial infidelity. We're talking about, um, you know, your propensity to trust yeah. and, and to tell right. the truth. Um, that, or, or, that, or, that's or casting different. doubt on your partner's judgment. Like if your husband comes home with a Porsche, you know, one day without even having so much as a conversation with you, um, that could lead to some serious damage, right? You, you really are going to doubt their judgment. How could they make a large financial decision like that? It seems selfish. I think it's about the consequences more than it is about like, it's not my place to judge. Because again, and and a lot of what we're talking about um, and what we're discovering in the process of researching and writing this book we're working on is um, it's all relative. Your stories are your stories. One being more extreme objectively than the next. Like we can't, we're not the barometers of other people's feelings, right? I mean, your relationship is your relationship. So, like, I, I think we're try we try to approach it that way too. So, I don't I don't know. Like, it really has to do with the consequences to you in particular. Yeah, like most answers in life, it's a big depends, right? And when you're taught, no, no one's relationship is equal to anyone else's, and not just with each other, but with money. I mean, we've seen people, you know, have very or varying relationships with, like, debt, for example. People who've had very little feelings or, you know, regret about taking out credit card debt or student loan debt versus people who call it the people devil. Like me, right? yeah. Or people oh, like me yeah. who like deeply yeah. internalize my student yeah. debt and like it I, became a major source of like shame in my life. Your self-worth to these decisions versus, all right, whatever, it was just something we did. Yeah. Okay, we've got one last one. I think this is really interesting. Um, obviously, we know that that money-related issues, they lead to all sorts of behaviors, but uh, including this was interesting. Losing friends over unpaid debts was about twenty percent, and then couples maintaining emergency funds in case of a breakup was another thirty percent. So I've I've heard of you know losing losing friends over you know not paying back money or unpaid debts, but having hidden separate emergency funds just in case of breakups. I thought that was kind of interesting. I think that's interesting too. Uh, I first question I ask is, you know, breakup. So we're just dating here or we're in a, you know, there's everything from dating to like, if that's happening with marriage or in a committed relationship, that seems to carry a lot more weight than. But I'll be real with you. I don't know how I feel about that. And that means like either way, like I actually can see it. I mean, we've all heard stories about particularly women placed in 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 you know some very scary situations and being financially isolated at, at, as as one of the predicates of abuse and domestic violence and so like i don't know like on one hand i understand that idea of like keeping some hidden money but to me like that's yeah. one i don't know cuz i see that side of it but also like i can't imagine that in my own relationship um yeah, and, no, and, and I, that, feeling sounds, like, that sounds absolutely crazy to me. I think there's I'm deep, like, deep structural and foundational issues in your relationship to get to a point where you're, you know, hoarding some money in the event that it doesn't work out. You know, I, I think we're trying to do the exact opposite, which is focus on radical transparency and communication in relationships. 
to me, that seems like the antithesis of it, right. which is why I question like at what stage in the relationship are you at? You know, you've been dating for a year. You don't know if it's going to happen, but you're sharing an apartment and expenses and you're kind of getting to that point. All right. Like maybe there, but like. Well, and to that point, when you see second, uh, second marriages, I think you tend exactly. to see, um, you know, carving out money or whether or, or just keeping separate finances for a host of reasons. So I don't know, like I see it, I see it both ways. It's not the way that we like, yeah. we don't subscribe to that as an, as a normal thing to do in, in a long-term relationship, but I, I, I can see it and I'm not going to like poo poo. No. That's, Just that makes my spider that. that makes my spider sense go all kinds of tingly, <laughs> and we're not always going to agree on everything here. But that you know, as a practitioner, ooh, I, I'm not I'm not cool with that. Well, Jeff and I both are in our second marriages. We were married prior, and it was interesting. Obviously, this is the line of work I do, but it was interesting how fast we started to talk about money. But it's still, you know, I think the the thing that we're that we're discovering here, and I know the journey that you both are on with all the things you're doing is it's so complex, right? There isn't one straight answer to you know any any of this. And it, there's, you know, Doug, you and I know this both because we've you know we've worked with humans and money. We know that the behavioral yeah. side of money comes into play, and that it's often irrational. And so people do or don't do certain things. You know, you could say, well, that's crazy, but it's whatever makes sense to them, you know, whatever feelings they're dealing with. And so, you know, I, I, this is a this is a big lofty question and maybe it's an obvious answer. But, you know, what is it about this thing called money that makes us, you know, crazy, makes our you know palm sweat, makes our heart races, make us do these irrational things and, and not want to talk to our partner about money? Word you said it. It's feelings. Money has the ability to touch on virtually every single feeling imaginable, and that creates a messy space. It makes it hard to focus on what you want to communicate to someone else because you are trying to filter the way that you feel from shame, from guilt, from joy, pleasure, love, happiness, sadness. Um, money is pervasive throughout self-worth. Our self-worth. Money is pervasive throughout our lives. We often talk about how it's a game that you play forever and it comes in different phases and different acts and chapters. And it's so dynamic that really being able to sit in one place and feel all those feelings and communicate them, it's embedded in our identity, in our childhood, in our upbringing, in trauma. It's so, so deeply rooted in who we are who we're going to be, and ultimately throughout our entire lives that it, to me, it's no surprise that this thing creates all kinds of emotional chaos um, and it makes it incredibly hard. And trying to communicate that with a partner is <laughs> like, what? That you have I feelings mean, for them and they yes. have their own feelings around it. And okay. that's so much of what we're learning about as we write this book is as you get one person with their own identity that they may or may not have figured out joining another person with their own identity that they may not have or have figured out to merge those two things together. Oh my God. It's literally, it, you know, two planets colliding into each other is going to make a big, big boom. Yeah. I was at a, uh, an event, um, last night for, for women entrepreneurs and, uh, you know, we were going around introducing ourselves and they got to me and I'm like, well, I'm a money trauma expert and I, you know, I'm a professional podcaster. And they were like, money trauma, what is that? You know, and started to really uh, talk what do you about mean, that. What isn't that? 
Right. And one of the the ladies there, she was saying that during the pandemic, her and her husband got this like card deck because they were bored and they thought, okay, well, let's start having these conversations that maybe we haven't had before. And one of the questions was, talk about your uh, your money story and your upbringing around money. And she said, you know, we'd been married for four or five years and it was crazy. I didn't know certain things about his upbringing and, you know, things that really stressed him out about money. And she's like, I feel like it should be required that every every couple has to ask these questions of each other. And so it's always just, you know, bewilder- bewildering to me. And and it's, I mean, this goes into the emotions around money, but we just, we avoid these, these conversations. So I just thought it was 100%. really fascinating. You know, and I think the point is, how are you expected to compromise or to find some kind of middle ground if you don't have, or to find mutual understanding if you don't fully understand where your partner came from, right? I mean, and I don't just mean geographically where they came from. I mean the things that they carry with them from their childhood, their feelings around money, how whether whether they whether those feelings resulted in deep insecurity that they carry with them into adulthood. We if you don't talk about it, you don't understand where they're coming from. How are you going to meet in the middle now? How are you going to honor those feelings now? It's tough, but most people kind of skip over that and they jump right into the logistics. And like Doug said, like you don't just win. This isn't a game that you win. It's not like you set up your accounts once and we won. You know, this is something that requires constant reevaluation and work. And so I think that's why it's so hard. All right. Uh, so I, I would be I would be amiss if I if I didn't ask this, you know, talking to a couple who's also, um, you know, interviewing people and doing all this work around money. I'm really curious, you know, what are some of the biggest money issues that come up for you guys? Like, how does this show up in your relationship? Obviously, I know you probably have some some extremes like I have in my in my own relationship, but just curious if there there's any like sort of common issues that uh, you both have to deal with. I think that um, something that we've worked really hard on in the last couple years is contribution and honoring um, honoring each of our contributions to the household um, and and understanding that the word contribution doesn't only mean financial contribution. Um, that's been important for me. I mean, you know, Doug Doug is a has always been incredibly supportive of like all my professional journeys and the roller coaster that it was being a young lawyer and then, you know, a corporate lawyer and having tons of student loan debt and everything like that. But like, I'm the one who's kind of gone through this massive transformation professionally over the last couple of years where we dropped my corporate law salary and I joined the firm and, and this business and we're embarking on this, you know, platform together. But the thing that we've struggled with the most is really like my own journey of like redefining my self-worth and kind of trying to figure out like what a con- what does contribution really mean what does partnership really mean to us um so that may not be like an acute money thing but it really is because you know a lot of the couples that we speak to and i relate to this like deeply they felt like when either there's when especially like a female you know the female partner in in a relationship if if the um if your salary drops off in some way whether that's entirely or you go into freelancing or whatever or you become a stay-at-home mother you don't feel as free to spend as you once did. Yeah. Like right. I don't yes. deserve to act with the autonomy that I once did, that I, I'm no longer the contributor 
Like that should not be the case. And he didn't make me feel that way. It was me that felt that way. Like I left my job and I said, oh, I I have to work as fast as I can to replace my salary in this tangible way because that's the only way that I'm contributing. And it was like, that's misguided. That's a misguided, like outdated concept. And um, I think that when you fall into those patterns, um, that's how some of these like like uh, uh, disparate power dynamics come to exist. That's one thing. I think the other thing would be that I uh, I always complain that I want to move. <laughs> I want a new house. <laughs> he knows that. We've written about it. So I think the transition out of a very structured corporate setting for Heather into the world that is running this firm of ours and the entrepreneurial path for lack of a better word and how money flows into a household in a in an entrepreneurial setting versus being a w-2 employees heather knew what her contribution was tied to a salary if she did really well she'd get a you know bonus or the bonus would be an outperforming one and she could say look look what i'm financially contributing here oh and our health benefits too you know i give this and supply this to the family and everyone felt good about that and you even felt good knowing that it allowed me to build my business to to a point which you know that eventually wore down to uh, so the transition from her very structured environment to my very unstructured environment not that there are system, aren't systems um, I think is a huge challenge because if she's tying her self worth to that paycheck, and now the contributions don't show up, you build business. You the the impact or the contribution you're making might not show up for years. Well, and so and and I think bigger picture, it basically has meant that our risk tolerance as a household has completely changed. Yes, um, changing sure. spending habits and behaviors, being more mindful of our spending. We had more breathing room. We did to go from. You know, this feeling of, you know, having hit escape velocity, like, great, we're able to, you know, save with, is a great spot to be in, save and invest with, you know, confidence and abundance to, huh, stripping that away. We're going to make a decision that now we're not allowed or we can't afford to do that is, is you know, mentally challenging and, you know, just tough to deal with. Yeah. And, and the last thing I would say is I felt... Like this was a great opportunity to bring Heather more into the financial component of how our household truly operates and business operates and how the business operates. And this is going to take time and it's going to take work and sliding. You know, we're not, we wrote about this as well. We're not perfect. And just because she's married to a financial advisor and I'm a financial expert and she will be a financial expert on love and money in her own right. Um, we're not immune to the difficulties and how challenging it is to find the time and space to sit down and say, do we you know, understand this? This is something Heather hasn't needed to or dealt with in our marriage because she married a CFP and she was <laughs> confident in what she was contributing. All that has faded away into this new dynamic and it is hard. If there's anything I want to be redundant and repetitive about is conversations and the dealings of money is not easy. It is always hard. And in our case now, uncomfortable because you're going through a transition. I, you know, I really like this, this conversation around self-worth. I'm glad you brought it up, Heather. And I think you could probably write a book only on this piece because I see this prevalent in so many different friends, you know, in, in my own relationship, 
Uh, Jeff works with me. We run our business together, just like you guys. And, you know, I think it's been really interesting because there have been those moments where you find yourself back into like the old sort of like paradigm, I guess, of thinking about female versus male and who's supposed to earn the money and who isn't. And even though you know that's not for you and that's not, you know, that doesn't belong to you, it's not your thinking, it still kind of creeps in there sometimes. And you really have to, you know, work through that and, um, you know, reaffirm why you're you're choosing what you're choosing, and then also, you know, for the for the partner, just like yourself, Heather, who is who is in that transition, or maybe who is not the the financial breadwinner, it's you know, really having those conversations about what well, what is you what is worth anyway? You know, is is it just money? I mean, because if it's just money, then wow, like that's that really changes the dynamics, you know, but. Can we look at uh, can we look at everything and can we attach worth to that in the same way that we do money and that to me feels like that's how you get to the place of partnership, hundred percent and that's something that's incredibly important to us in this new project and in our messaging and in in what we're doing with with even the joint account. Um, I want to redefine what contribution is. Contribution needs to involve. Um, Many more tasks than just bringing in uh, bringing in a salary. We need to be viewing um, supporting the relationship and a household holistically. Finances are one piece of it, and oftentimes the person who's bringing in a salary to support the household could not do what they are doing without the contributions of the other partner. And and I it just it makes me crazy when I hear whether the partner is working or not, like whether it's a state, whether we're talking about a stay at home parent or just one partner makes um, substantially more money than the other, that shouldn't give them a greater autonomy to spend. It shouldn't give them greater decision-making authority. Um, We have to just look at contributions as a whole. I mean, I, you know, it's, I'm reading a book right now, um, Fair Play by Eve Rodsky, which is all about division of household labor. And she does a great job leveling the playing field or in, and even just presenting it in a way visually that I think a lot of partners haven't thought about this before, that that is just one component. It's not like, you know, you really, you really have to, I mean, you literally in her, in her, um, in her initiative can just lay all the cards on the table. Yeah. I give Heather a lot of credit in being patient enough with me, particularly around things like division of labor and contribution. Um, I'll admit it got to a point where, yeah, the business started to do really, really well and, you know, was outpacing earnings, uh, for what she was making at her job. Substantially. Substantially. And I, as a person, don't think this way, like, okay, now I'm doing this. I can therefore do whatever I want to do in my free time while she's slaving away with the invisible load of the tasks of raising, you know, two girls and the house. But I think what you're saying is, I think the, the the most important point about that is that we didn't decide. You didn't wake up, like, you're not a jerk. You didn't wake up one day and be like, she's got to do <laughs> no, it. No, it just ha- this happened. happened. This yes. happened by the nature of the fact that there was a massive wage gap that formed yeah. between Doug and I. And when we looked at the opportunity cost, especially during COVID, and I was still working full time as a corporate yeah. lawyer, I still took on the majority of the household labor because of the wage gap between us. So it wasn't a choice. It happened to us. And this is one of the things that led us to to the work we're doing now. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. And we're not, and I'm not someone who's like, oh, you know, let's blame COVID for this. But that definitely was some accelerant here um, in terms of how we got into that position and a lot quicker than I think we ever anticipated. So uh, Heather brings up a really good point. And I'm lucky that she was patient with me. And now, you know, we, she, we sat, we did sit down, we did talk about, you know, tasks that require full ownership in our household. And the one we always point to is uh, I'm swim dad, right? We needed to, <laughs> our older daughter swims. And we realized that it's, it's taxing for half the communication of where swim meets are in practice and getting her ready. That entire thing was being chopped up and that's not a great way to approach it. The point is that people need to take, okay, and this goes back to that same idea, that Wall Street Journal article, I'm sure you read it earlier this year about having a CFO and a COO that people take on different roles, but it doesn't mean that people don't need to speak right? Like the communication, like you can take ownership over something. And I think that's great that this year you took ownership over swim, which to me was huge for him to say, (laughs) I don't want to read the emails. I'm going to delete them. That's the level I'm going to. That's how uninvolved I want to be in this. But I think beyond that is just the idea that you still have to sit down and be able to come together um, and work. And that's how you form the true partnership. Yeah. Okay, friend, I want to know, What are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals. So you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied, or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete.me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web. 
and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for 20% off. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm. All right, Doug, Heather, it's time to play your relationship with money is game. So question number one, if you had to describe your relationship to money as a famous TV couple, who would it be? I don't know how famous they are, but for 90s kids, for sure. And I'm even forgetting their names. But if you remember the cartoon show Rugrats, uh, the Pickles, right? I know their last name because it was Tommy Pickle, the the baby. Um, The mother was the bread earning wife who had a corporate job. I think she was an attorney. And the father was an entrepreneur toy inventor. I'm not a toy inventor, but, you know. But the vibe's the same. The vibe's there. And, you know, they got the kids running around. Like, I can really now identify with that. And there's this meme of all, like, the dads of Rugrats, like, you know, just waiting in a swimming pool. And it's like, hey, when you were a kid, these looked like, you know, just guys. Now it's you. (laughs) I'm just like, damn, it is. (laughs) 
All right. Question number two, Heather, I'm going to throw this one at you. What's one money mistake that you wish you could get a do-over for? Oh, that's easy. Layup. Layup question for me. I took out $200,000 to go to a very expensive law school in New York City without fully um, understanding what it even meant to be a lawyer um, or whether I, you know, how I wanted to use that degree. Um, easy, easy peasy. And it took me a very, very long time to yep. reconcile uh, my feelings around that and to get control of the debt. So no CPZ on that one. No ROI calculation. No ROI calculation <laughs> was performed. A lot of, a lot of blind faith. In Re- a recession may have had something to do with it too. A little bit. Little bit. All right. Doug, question number three, guilty money splurge that you are never giving up. I think I know the answer to this one, but I want to hear. Ooh, you're, you think it's coffee. I'm sure. Um, right now it's tequila. Um, I'm I'm fully bought into finding bottles that I will enjoy. Um, Heather will say I'm a serial hobbyist. So if you're a betting person on me, obviously I'll find something else to obsess over. He'll find something else. Before Pandemic it was, was tie dye. Before it was tequila, he was he was <laughs> buying this like very elite high end like hand dyed sweat these like sweatsuits and all the kids call him the daddy unicorn at the preschool. <laughs> like I mean so like he just finds a new thing. Right now it's tequila. Right now it's booze. I mean tequila. he doesn't have a problem. Nope. <laughs> but right now it's just tequila and he'll be on to something else in another year. Probably probably someone help me. All right. Question number four, Heather, tell me the inner monologue of your money thoughts. Is there a money thought that always plays in a loop for you? Your money gremlin. Wait, somebody just asked me what my money motto is. And I said, it's the Beyonce song where she goes, move out the way I'm with my girls and we all need space. And I, and I would say that that's literally my money motto is that like, it's the reason that I joined Doug and why I'm doing what I'm doing is just, it's really about, um, finding greater equity, giving greater voice to not only like, not only to find that voice for myself, but for other women, I feel like who may have lost it along the way, whether that's professionally or through becoming a mother and trying to redefine for our next act. And, um, I would say, yeah, my inner monologue is mostly Beyonce. Yeah. She, she's, we joke, uh, she's that racehorse that's been not allowed to go sprint, you know, around the track. She got to be let loose here. And they held me at the gate too long. Too and long. Now, and now it's just a... Now we let her, she's like, how can I do it? Where can I go? I'm like, whoa, slow down. <laughs> slow down, Maurice. Slow down a minute. <laughs> we're going to get We're gonna get there. Trust. Doug, question number five. If you could go back and tell your younger self something about money, what would it be? Yeah, we talk about this a lot. Um, I was very... My brother and I were both very, very good at making money. Like the entrepreneurial spirit ran deep generationally all, all the way down to us. I would have told myself to actually invest that money. We were making such good money as teenagers and I had a ton of fun. I never needed to ask my parents for anything. I could fill the car with gas. I could, you know, go to the movies, do whatever I wanted to do. Like there was enough money I could make on any given weekend. Um, but I was not taught, ironically, even with a financial advisor father, wasn't pulled aside to say, hey, take a portion of this and invest it. Um, because I probably could have been in a much better situation at any part of my life, whether it's putting down payment on the house. just Or when it, you moved to New York City with nothing but a duffel bag and a dream. Yeah, some student loan debt. You would have had some, a little money. I owed my mom some money because she helped me get rid of my car lease. Um, none of that would have been there. Who, who, only, who knows? You know, maybe I would have picked some Apple or Amazon stock and held on tight for you know, 20, 30 years or something like that. 
So I would go back and tell entrepreneurial teenage Doug, um, yeah, stick some of this in the market and then throw the key away. Forget, forget that it's there. Um, I really do wish I built that investment habit earlier on. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club, a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time, or just relax to a good book, listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club. Tune into the Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to the Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. Well, I want to I want to talk about some of the other kind of common couple money issues that I've seen over the last you know fifteen plus years that I've been a money expert, and I'd love to know your take on these, and maybe even like how to handle some of these situations if somebody's listening and they're thinking like, oh my god, that is happening in my relationship, right? So the first one, uh, you know, we've we've talked about this a little bit when we ran through the stats, but I, I'm wondering if you have any. Any how tos on handle how, how to handle this one? You know, if someone wants to splurge on something that's really important to them, but it's absolutely not important to the other person. Like for instance, I was I was talking to a couple the other day, and there's a big age gap between the two parties. And you know, the the older spouse is thinking about retirement, is thinking about you know saving money and investing, and the younger spouse just wants to travel and have fun. And it's creating a lot of conflict between them, and they they can't figure out like how to navigate this. Who gets you know who gets what, and do I have a right to just splurge on travel if I'm making my own money, or you know at what point do I have sort of this intersection that I need to come together with my partner? Yeah, so I feel like you know, and Heather was telling me in the car, Doug, your answer to everything can't be communicate, you know, and of course. It can't just be that. You got to go a little d- deeper in terms of how you communicate. 
I, as a planner, always think about goals. You know, you're trying to have some shared, shared vision in what you're trying to accomplish together. And the setup that you've provided here, it seems that people are standing on two different sides in terms of what their goals are. Someone is focusing on retirement and the other person is focusing on, you know, finding the balance between having fun or maybe not finding a balance or just having fun while they can. And that right there is what needs to be addressed. You know, where is the common goal? In other words, what's the compromise here? You know, and I and I think what's interesting too, not only what's your list of goals, but how do you prioritize them? And that's where you find the compromise, right? Maybe it's not you can't ever travel, and it's not you can't ever save money for retirement. <laughs> you gotta when work you're forever. Looking <laughs> at the goals on a piece of paper, and you say what's number one and what's number two. It forces you to have that conversation, and somewhere in the middle, like you could, there is a way to meet in the middle of. Absolutely, if it's I want to travel twice a year, or I want to, and I want to retire by sixty. Maybe it's you're going to travel once, you know, bigly and a small little trip. And maybe it's not going to be retired by 60, but 62, right? Everyone has to compromise and give a little bit here to kind of get there. And also, there's the data and the hard facts. You know, what's, what is the financial situation? Right. right? Can they afford right. Can they afford what it? You go on as many, you know, credit card debt will let you go on as many trips as, you know, your, your credit will let you. And that will certainly sandbag someone, you know, from retiring on time. So you got to take a look at what's actually available and financially reasonable. Can one even retire in the time that they want and do one trip? What if if like you find out like, no, I'm prioritizing my own retirement ahead of like anything we do. Well, you know, that's going to lead to a very, uh, a much more difficult conversation of what's fair between these two. So a little work cut out for them to on. Again, twofold. One, try and find out what the compromise here of everyone's wants is and see what can actually be supported financially. And that's hard. Imagine if they've never done that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> imagine it's, if they've it's never like sat down. Yeah. Or ima- imagine if the person who travels has never actually looked at a budget for the household or understands what their net worth is and what their cash position is. And the person who wants to retire is so caught up in that that they don't understand why their partner doesn't understand. Well, did you sit down with your partner and have, you know, quarterly check-ins or some regular system in which you're actually informing your spouse about what you can and can't do and why, and then attach the why to that, the feelings? Hard, just hard to do, especially when you haven't done it. It feels super uncomfortable, but you do it 8, 16, 32 times over the course of three years, it becomes natural. And I think that's something that people don't understand is how much time it takes you know, you're not going to talk about this every day unless you want to drive each other absolutely crazy. Unless you're us. Yes. Unless you're in the, <laughs> God, God help us. Um, but yeah, you're, yeah, but we talk about money because we're doing a book and we're tra- sharing this. We're not sitting down with our own spreadsheet every day and going, right. all right, Organizing. honey. Y- yeah. Here's what we spent yeah. yesterday and why that was bad. Oh my God, that's toxic. Like, don't, <laughs> don't do that. But okay. I revised the numbers here at the end of the quarter. Let's sit down, have our meeting, take a look at these particular areas of our financial life and ask ourselves some questions around, do we need to change anything or are we good? I think the point is then it doesn't result in conflict when both parties are aware of what it actually, of what it would actually take to do both the things you want to do. I mean, sometimes the emotional side of it comes from just not even knowing or seeing it. Maybe there would be less conflict between both of them if they saw how much would the vacation actually cost or how much are you trying to save for retirement every every month to get there you know i just 
there's a there's an awareness there of yeah. the information that's yeah. super important. Yeah, I, here's another one. This one this one feels feels heavy. This one's going to be interesting to talk about. So, my partner never wants to spend money on me, but is willing to spend money on countless other people to impress them. What do you think about that? You had a couple where all one spouse wanted to do was spend money on the other person. Um, and interesting that that was kind of, or no, the other one person valued the give, the getting of gifts, like mm, really right, okay. valued that. Um, what do I think of this one? I that, wonder why. Yeah. That's what I would ask them. I would ask them why. Like if they're always say, buying dinner for friends or, you know, well, they're, they're always right trying to do something that I, you know, I don't know if it's it, it, ultimately why right, is like a, like a self-worth or like there, there's something well, more kind of going on behind the scenes. Yeah. I mean, it feels like there's a lack of, a lack of appreciation, a lack of valuing, um, valuing your partner in a relationship. Um, there's, and, a, there's a hole in the person they're trying to fill a hole that clearly isn't being satisfied or filled by their partner that you know it 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 goes beyond that to needing the love and admiration from others um almost at all costs uh or at a cost of right. you know doing these things with other people that's particularly challenging i'm not going and and a little troubling to be honest with you because there's there's a flaw or some damage in that person that's to be uh addressed and the fact that their partners, um, their partners unable to fill it for them is what's pointing me in the direction of there's something you know far far greater it than them. like they're seeking validation outside of the relationship and prioritizing that over the val- yeah. like the validation of from their partner is not summarize enough. that so much better. No, but I did, but I didn't know when 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 we first you know. You you hit the nail on the head, but I think that that's what it's about. It's about val- validation, you know, and where you find it. I'm I'm learning, and we're learning. There's clearly a fine line um, as we explore people's identity with money, and we go back in these interviews and find out where people come from and why their beliefs around money are the way that they are. And I, I'm probably speaking from my own experience here too. Uh, there's a fine line between you know financial therapy and actual therapy you know and the things that have happened in our past and the trauma or experiences we had whether that's through our familial experiences or things that happened to us um yeah it's it's usually not too many steps over the line before you're realizing like there's there's actual damage to a person and it's not just financial and those two things often go hand in hand so you used to be I'll tell you a little anecdote about Doug and I think that this Yay. No, I think I mean, this is not like a pat on the back of our relationship. <laughs> Go for it. But I think that when I met Doug, I met Doug in college. We met freshman year of college. Doug was a very like he he's always been social, always, if you couldn't tell. But <laughs> he took it to such an extreme that like he had yeah. it wasn't even FOMO, like he needed to be accepted. Be accepted by Anyone, everyone, 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 like at, at all costs, he was willing to, he wanted the attention. He would, he would talk and not let anybody else speak like in, in a group setting. Like it was like almost uncomfortable how much he wanted to be accepted by whatever group of people he was in. And like, you stopped doing that. And I don't think that it came 
I don't think it came from a with with just with age. I think it came from Kids. security. No, I think it came from security. Maybe. And I I look at our own relationship and and how that evolved and and kind of the security in your life and your well, career also, and but her- also work. You know, and, it's, and it's, her too. But again, this idea of where you seek validation from this is the reason I brought it yeah. up. No, it's because the it, I mean, as I mentioned just a second, that you're you're 100 right. Um, for me, I mean, that's nothing more than fear of rejection. You know, that's that's the theme there. Is Doug did not want to be rejected by everyone, and that's where you know now we cross the line into therapy as to well, why yeah. does little Doug not want to be rejected? Yeah, little Dougie. Why is he fearing let's, that? Who let's hurt, welcome let, little Dougie in. Yes. <laughs> hi, welcome. hi, guys. <laughs> Welcoming little Dougie to the to the little Dougie here. Same, same as big Dougie, but um, yes, yeah, you know that bleeds right over into well, who who hurt me? You know, kind of stuff. And you have to know thyself uh, in so many ways to be able to sometimes get to well, why do I behave a certain way when it comes to money? You know. Um, was I spending money to be loved in that? No, I would just run my mouth and, you know, not shut up. So. No, but that's, that's what that immediately like reminded me. hundred percent. When you said that. Yeah, there's, there's a big parallel there. Yeah. There's one, one more I want to talk about. You both have, have two kids and, uh, I thought this was an interesting one. So let's say you're getting ready for your first child and maybe one partner is really freaked out about money. But the other partner doesn't understand, you know, what the big deal is. Like, of course, you're going to have enough money. Do you see that happen where, uh, you know, in relationships, like particularly with the first first child, where there's such a different, um, there's such a different like point of view when it comes to, you know, kids and money and how much this is all going to cost and how do you do this? We spoke with a couple who told us a story about when, um, when his when the you know the they announced their pregnancy and it was like they found out at home you know they took a pregnancy test and he the husband stayed up all night completely spiraling and like making spreadsheets and like they got in a huge like they got in a fight right yeah. didn't they and like he was like we can't afford this i mean it and it it pretty much like subsumed the moment mm, and yes. she was like what are you even talking about like yeah. what what um, and, and they clearly came at it from a different angle. I mean, I think that ch- like, here's the thing with having kids. And I always laugh when I look back because we were some of the first in our, we're, we didn't have kids young by any, by any, you know, yeah, but it's, it's excuse a little older in, the, we lived New in the New York, we lived in New York city. And so for us, we were the first of our friends to have kids. There's people having kids at 48, you know, around. I, yeah. yeah. But we were the first at 30, 29 when I got pregnant. And um, it, it it compelled a lot of people to tell us all the reasons why they weren't having a baby yet, which I think is like kind of annoying, but whatever. They, and a lot of the reasons were things like, oh, I don't have enough, like, you know, we don't have enough savings or, oh, we don't have enough this, we don't have enough that. And I'm Get like- for daycare, it's so expensive, all that. There's always like financial barriers. Here's like, having a kid isn't just about like the dollars and cents. It's about being willing to open and willing to accept um, change yeah, and really being open and willing to accept the unknown and knowing that you're going to do whatever it takes to support your family. And you might have to make decisions that you don't want to make, or that that might be hard, or that could be a sacrifice for you that you weren't expecting to make. But for the average person, I would not say like, oh, like to me, like they're two different conversations. Um, and we shouldn't conflate the two, like choosing to start a family. Um, 
you know, is a very like special and important. And like, it, I, I, I don't know. I, I would have a lot of, when we found out we were pregnant, I had a few colleagues sit me down and say, this is going to be the absolute best thing that has ever happened for your business. And obviously your life, but they're sitting me down in a, you know, business capacity. And it makes me think about expectations versus reality. Um, you have all of these expectations that you, you know, when you're fine with the first, right. And you have literally no idea what the reality of that is going to be for you. And it's an interesting balance you're trying to strike. And I can hear my grandfather say, yeah, when you're having kids, love finds a way, right? Well, that's yeah. very nice, grandpa. But we also have $250,000 in student loan debt that needs to find its way to being paid. So what do we do there? You know, this isn't 1958. And, you know, it's a little bit different out there, our financial realities. But he's, yeah, yeah, but he's not wrong. Interesting things happen when you allow your heart to grow twice its size. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. It's very sweet. Yeah. But it's, but it's just, yeah, I, was, it, I was saving that one. That's good. That's good. <laughs> you pull, you pulled that one out, right? Right. It belongs right on time. a magnet or something. We should sell that on a coffee mug. Oh, I got a tattoo of it. Did you not see it yet? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> that would be a fantastic revelation on a yeah. couple's episode. Debut on the podcast, <laughs> Doug's tat. His first tattoo. So I, I don't know if, if, if you could do this, but I, you know, for, for everyone listening, we've talked about a lot of things that, that go wrong with couples. What would you say would be, um, I don't know, like the checklist or the prescription for how to do money right as a couple? You know, we've talked about communication and, um, you know, having some regular sit downs. But, you know, if we were to give everyone listening like this checklist of do the, at least do these things, what would be on there? That's a great question. Want to talk about some C's here? Call them that. We are so it's so funny when we're trying to you know we're we're trying to work through some different frameworks um, for our book and yeah, nothing and, final here on this. No, but we no, but we actually we've been talking a lot about this and and Doug Doug <laughs> came up with five C's and I'm like we're not going to call them. The we're five. not. I was like, like there's nothing yeah. lamer than having five C's. Like that's the worst. <laughs> but also, I'm really aware of how lame it sounds. And we talk about all the time. Like we're like. Now it's a joke. Now it's an inside joke. This needs another C. That's what we need. Another C. Started out with like nine Cs. There were twenty (laughs) five Cs. But but anyway, I think this is is relevant to what you said. So we're going to share some of those Cs with you because it makes sense. Um, You know, so I think the point um, to the place to begin is 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 exactly where where we kind of began this discussion today about understanding money beliefs and values. Like back from the beginning, back from the time before you met your partner. You got to understand a little bit about where they're from and where those early money beliefs came from, because it's going to speak to their value systems and what they're carrying to the relationship today. So whatever you can do to open that, open the door to that conversation, I mean, I hope that we're going to be able to offer those tools and specific questions. But until then, until that point comes, you could find any number There's, of money yeah. questionnaires to sit down together and really open up the open up the dialogue and to, to that understanding, because you can't compromise if you don't know where the person's coming from. I think that's the first thing. Um, the next one would be, you know, because I've said it a thousand times today, the communication component. Um, but there needs to be a set place that's distraction free and comfortable to really have these yeah, tough the f- conversations. The forum matters very right? much. So some people will enjoy a date night. Some people will find that cringe to you know be out to a nice dinner and talk about that. Could be a walk in the park. You got to figure out what's going to be that comfortable environment to have 
the communication around those money beliefs that hopefully you've written down. Well, and I think what's interesting, I mean, like we've seen that go wrong, but then we see it go right. Like you just, you don't want to, you don't want to take the other person by surprise. You guys want to have like an agreed upon meeting space and time to do it so that nobody feels pressured. Nobody feels like they're distracted with something else because then it goes back to that idea of like, they're not listening to me. They didn't hear what I said. That's the word. Think about what environment allows you to be the best listener possible. And you probably should mute your phone. I'm like ADHD. Like I, I can't sit still or look around. So we particularly need to find something that we won't. You know. Yeah. Like, we like to walk because that's the best way for Doug to pay I, attention. I can't, yeah, I can't do anything else but walk and talk. And if oh, I right. give her my phone, I'm locked in. Well, and, and so the next piece of this is definitely, again, we already touched on it, but the contribution thing. Um, writing down in some fashion or sitting down together to discuss each partner's contribution to your relationship. And that doesn't just mean financial. We have to include everything else. It, but it- because when we give worth to those other areas, um, you know, we build confidence and we build respect and it helps everybody then sit down together and say, like, I deserve a seat at this table, too, when it comes to making decisions around our money. I like it when you're writing your other partner's contributions because it shows that you're honoring and thinking about what they contribute to your relationship. Mm, you could do this good. both ways. You- could go, that could go greater. That could go <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is this is the this is the time. Shot, yeah. This is the time to get weird. You know, you're, you're going out ball, of your yeah. yeah you, you, this is exactly. So whether you want to write down your partner's contributions and what you think they are, or you want to do both, contributions the key word here. And then it's collaboration, right? This one I feel very strongly about. Um, it gets into the technical side of things, right? There needs to be a baseline understanding of where things stand. That's putting together a net worth table. It's not a scary thing. Write a list of everything. You need to be able to look at everything you own, everything you owe, and understand what the numbers are. Uh, they'll also help everyone understand where everything is. There should also be a cash flow or a budget component to this. Where does money come in? Where does it go out? You have to be on the same page around this. Now, one partner can be the one to put it together. That's fine. But both partners um, are responsible for having at least a baseline knowledge of where their money is and how their money flows in and out of their life. There's a level of accountability there, personal accountability, and that's not a C, which is a problem. Yeah. We're, we're but, um, we're an a, an a. I don't know about that. <laughs> but I, and I think finally, the other, the, the other important thing is consistency and doing this not only on a regular basis, but not giving up. Consistency doesn't just mean, oh, let's schedule it. I mean, these things get weird. One of the things about money and and conflicts over money is that it's not that it's necessarily like the conflict that comes up the most, at least in, in some of the statistics that we've seen, but it's the one that's the most pervasive recurring and it's the hardest to resolve because sometimes when we like dabble in this and if we don't do it the right way, we're deterred from trying again. And I think the most important thing is to not give up. And maybe that means for some people, if you know this is like a hot button, like this is high touch for you and your partner, maybe you start small. You know, maybe you start either either with one acute thing yeah. or or you start broad and you start to, and say like, these are our goals. Can we at least, you know, dream of what our goals are together? And then next time, let's schedule another another date 
you know, a month from now where we can sit down again and then we can start talking about a little more of the uncomfortable stuff. This, like you gotta like, yeah. you gotta find a way that being consistent feels good for both of you and that it doesn't feel like a nuisance, but that you don't give up. To. And, and this might become one of the hardest parts as you inherently become busier in your lives. In my experience, you know, responsibilities only go up as your free time goes down. Um, and just, it's super easy to let it slip away. I think for us, it's very easy to let, you know, consistent consistency, you know, get checked into the wall because we're just busy. People get busy. And when you're, especially in the beginning, when it's uncomfortable and it's wonky and you're just getting started and you're busy is a perfect recipe to, you know, punt a quarter or punt that meeting. And then what happens, you forget about it and you're right back at square one. And, you know, I'll, I'll kind of give you an analogy here on days like today, I wake up early, which I hate to do. I'm not a morning person. (laughs) And I go lift with a friend at the gym. Um, And I can tell you, we've been doing this for now months on end. Maybe we'll get to do this anywhere from two to four times a month. And today I finally said that wasn't so bad. And I was hoping to get to a point where the consistency of doing this every Thursday resulted in me getting up saying, I'm going to feel great after this. I know. And I didn't say this morning, this sucks. I said, let's get at, you know, how cliche, let's get after it. You know, um, <laughs> drink, uh, did you drink a, a protein shake after that and, I had a and cu- crush it on your head? Nope. Had a cup of coffee while I worked out and some <laughs> water and really viewed this as a great way to start my day. And now finally, after doing this for six months, waking up at 530 on a Thursday, dare I say, I kind of looked forward to it. And that was even after a bad night's sleep. So who would have thought? So there you go. Consistency in that hopefully analogy shows you, yeah, it's going to feel good, you know, in year two, you know, meeting number eight. Wow. Okay. That was such a great conversation. What I really love about Doug and Heather is their real approach to advice for couples. They aren't just experts dishing out tips. They are in the thick of it, just like I am in my relationship and you are as well. They have oodles of great content in their weekly newsletter, The Joint Account. Also, they are looking to interview couples for their new book. So if you've got a story you want to tell, don't miss the opportunity to be part of what I know is going to be a killer book. I will have all their links and everything we talked about in this episode right in the show notes. Also there, you will find all the links to our episode sponsors who support this show and keep it going. So go over and give our sponsors some love as well. All right. I will see you back here in a few days. For-